think we have some students that are elsewhere today. That's all right. That's all right. We're still going. We're still going to go through it. It's kind of like the Sunday when we had a big snowstorm and there was only one person showed up to church. And uh, you know, these days we just cancel church. I think, but then we didn't. We still had church. It was a small church. One person showed up, a deacon, and he said, "You know, we talked." I said, "What are you gonna do?" And he said, "Well, I'm a farmer. If I go to feed the cows and only one shows up, I still feed it." <laughs> so we had a short service and went home <laughs> and all of that. All right. A couple of things I want to back up on. I made a comment, I think, in our last time together that I want to make sure is not misunderstood. I made the point that funerals are not primarily evangelistic. I don't want you to get the idea that they're not evangelistic because, in a sense, everything we do in ministry as Christians has that underlying hope of evangelism, okay? But my primary concern in those times is to minister to the needs of the grieving. And I use that illustration that when Jesus had the 5,000 that were hungry, he fed them, you know? He took care of some physical needs first. World Vision, others that are in other parts of the country that are feeding the hungry, they first feed, then they share, okay? And that's kind of the way I look at the ministry through funerals and grief, is we take care of some immediate needs that puts us in a place to open their heart to listen to what we need to say, okay? And that's what I meant by that particular aspect of it. So bear that in mind as we're going through the ministry, all of that. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is I want to make sure because sometimes I get a little enthusiastic, that I'm not leaving with you the impression that there is something wrong with cremation. Okay? I will again say there is nothing I'm going to do with a body once a person is dead that is going to affect their eternal destiny. I don't believe it. I don't think cremation is wrong in and of itself. I do believe we need some of the rituals. We need the memorial services, or we need the funeral services, or we need that time to get together. And that time should be both a time of crying and a time of laughing. I do not like the idea that we're just going to get together and have a celebration and a party. I don't think that's honest. I don't think that's healthy. I really don't think that's biblical. Because it is, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we have to have that time to mourn. That has foundation in Scripture all the way through, okay? So I think that's the key to it. I do think in what I was saying last week about the importance of the body, I do believe it does matter what we do with the body after a person dies in the sense that the Bible talks about a proper burial and speaks of it as a shame or a disgrace or if somebody doesn't have a proper burial. I don't think that means you have to have a burial in the earth necessarily. I think it speaks to the respect for the body and for the love. If a man live a hundred years and have a hundred kids or however many kids he has and he does not receive a proper burial, it would better that he had not been done. What that speaks to me is he's got nobody. He's got no love. He's got no life in there. There is nobody that cares at his death. Okay, And I do think our society in the United States is at a point of minimizing 
the respect for the dead. And I think that's dangerous. I don't think that's biblical. I think we have to have that respect and we have to remember them. You ought to read the books about the martyrs in the early church and what they went through. And I think it gives you a greater appreciation for that and to have that respect for the person that's died. Okay? That's the point that I want to make on all that. We're going to talk today a little bit about children and funerals and cremation and, and several things that are there. You'll remember the time that the children came around as Jesus was in the crowd and the disciples began to rebuke the children to get them away and Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, Suffer them, let them come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I think we are making a big mistake in our society by pushing children out of funeral rituals and participation. By the way, I believe funerals should be participatory not a spectator event. One of the problems and one of the people don't like funerals or memorial services is we tend to just go there and sit. And I think there needs to be some participation when we can. Now, granted, not every single person there can necessarily have a part in the service, but you can have some ways that you engage and participate in that sense. And I think for those who love the person that's died, their participation is important in some way, even the children. Let me, and you can read the notes. I, as usual, will bounce all over the place, so I probably won't get through all of those uh, as we go through it. But I want to share with you something I experienced years ago that has stuck with me in a lot of ways. We were doing a service for a woman who had died. Um, she had been a Catholic nun at one point, and during her time as a nun, she worked in a facility that was dealing with AIDS research. This was back when AIDS was fairly new and we didn't know a lot about it. It was, it, you know, it was kind of the, the new thing that was out there. Um, she spent some time doing that and she later left uh, being a nun. She married a gentleman and they had a couple of children of their own. But... She developed AIDS herself from exposure she had during the time she was working in this facility and institute. Now, those that knew it, there were some that judged how she had AIDS. She came by it not because of sin, but because she was working trying to help others in that sense. We were doing her funeral. I was the funeral director on her funeral. And they were doing a Catholic Mass because she was still Catholic. So we had the service. We went to the Catholic Church. And Joe Ted, um, no, not Joe, uh, um, Ross, Bill Ross was the priest. Um, and as we were there, these two kids, if I can put it, were running around just being making havoc in the church before the service as people were gathering. I mean, they were loud. They were noisy, they were screaming, and, you know, it was distressing to some other people. So I went to the father, and I said, do you mind if I get your children and visit with them a minute? And he said no, so we pulled them together in the narthex with the kids, and there was a sofa there, and I sat down and got down on their level and started talking to them. Well, Father Ross, as the priest in the church, was there, 
and uh, he was listening. And I just talked to the kids, and I said, I, I want to talk to you about what we're doing here, what we're going to do. So I talked them through what was going to happen during this service, that we were going to take the casket and place it here, that the Father was going to come, He was going to bless it, we were going to put the pall on it, we were going to take it in, they were going to sing some songs, they were going to do communion in the Mass, and we just started walking through everything that was going to happen. Well, the husband was there listening, and a little bit I saw the crowd, people just began coming around listening as I was explaining what was about to happen. The kids settled down. They were a whole lot calmer. We talked about their mom just a little bit. The priest came to the kids in and said, would you like to help carry the gifts up when we do communion and we do mass? Because theirs is they will usually have someone come and present the gifts to the priest. So when the time came, they had an adult with them. They came and they carried up the bread and the wine to hand to the priest at their mother's funeral. And they participated in it. Um, Father Ross and I worked together some, and he was actually one of the military chaplains. He was in the Air Force Reserve during the bombing. And so we talked quite a bit then. I tended to hang out with the military chaplains when I got a few minutes during the bombing. They had a room off to themselves, so I would step in with them. One of the things that I still have in my on a bookshelf is a Desert Storm Bible the chaplains gave me. That's not supposed to go to anybody but service members, but they signed it and gave it to me during that time. But in that time, Father Ross said, you remember when, and he brought up this occasion, and he said, from that point forward, I have made it a point if there's kids to set them down and tell them what to expect and see if they want to help with that. And they got to participate. Some of the most touching services I've been a part of is where the children sing. Grandkids get up and they sing a song. Or some of the others sing that are part of the family or they participate in some way. We have to remember children grieve. I think it was Alan Wolfelt that said one time, if you are old enough to love, you're old enough to mourn. Our kids grieve and mourn, and sometimes they don't understand what's going on because we never talk to them. Go in the other room and be quiet. And we don't set them down and talk to them about what's going on, and they're hurting, you know. And children will teach us a lot. One of the things I've learned from children is you got to dose your grief sometime, your mourning, all right? If you sit and cry all day, every day, that's not necessarily healthy. Now, the first few days you may, but you will move beyond that. If you don't, you may need to come to a point of learning like kids do, dose it. You will see kids, and I've seen this many times, they will come crying and screaming about a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a grandma, someone that's died. And five minutes later, they're laughing and giggling and playing and wrestling on the floor. And that's okay. They're dosing it. They're taking it in time. Grief comes in waves anyway. It'll wash over you and wash out. It'll wash over you and wash out. And hopefully in time, it gets less frequent that the, the tidal wave of grief comes in on that time. Involve the kids. One of the first funerals I did as a pastor, um, I was a young guy, 
And it was a, an old gentleman that came to church some. Um, he had a heart attack, went to the hospital, visited with him. We prayed with him. He acknowledged Christ as his Savior. And I was going back the next day. I talked to um, his daughter on the phone. She said he's doing great. He's doing well. They're getting him up. So two or three hours later, I went by the hospital again. And as I walked in the front door of the hospital, his daughter walked out, ran straight to my arms and said, he's dead. So we talked for a while and went in. And I went to their home um, the next day and talked to them a little bit. And I had asked about his granddaughter. And they said, she's in a room. Said she won't come out of her room. She's been there ever since we gave her the news, and she will not come out. She was about 12 years old. And I said, let me see if I can talk to her. So I knocked on the door, and she acknowledged me, and I asked if I could come in, and she would. And so I went in, and of course she was sitting there with the stuffed animal, hugging it on her bed, just kind of rocking back and forth. And what would you have said when you walked into the room? Yeah. Well, I mean, I sat for a minute, and I finally called her by name, and I said, tell me about your granddad. And she began to talk about granddad, the times they spent together, the times that they had ridden horses, the saddle he had given her. I mean, they just talked to her. She just talked about him for a while. She told me about the animal that she was hugging and what it meant to her why that particular animal, why she was hugging it, that granddad gave it to me. You know, and she just began to talk about him. And she cried. And we talked and, you know, I said, well, how, you know, what about his services? We got it. You can't do the same thing for everybody. All right, please understand. Don't take my words and say this is the pattern for every child you deal with because everybody's different. You're going to have to be attuned to the circumstances and the prompting of the Spirit. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about his service, and, and we came up with ways that she could participate. And I told her, why don't you write a letter to your granddad? Why don't you write a letter about how you feel? Let's put it in the casket with him. So we just talked about some of those things, and after we talked for a while, she stepped out of her room and spent some time with her family got to acknowledge they're important and they need to grieve and they need to be a part of it. In another circumstance where um, a gentleman died, he and his wife were going through a divorce. This young lady was living with her dad. Her sisters were living with mom. It was not an um, uh, amicable divorce. Most are not. This one was rather difficult. She didn't really like her mother at the moment. And uh, there were some issues with dad dying. And we were talking about, with the, and, the, and mom was telling me this story and all that. And I said, ask her if she would like to come in with you when we're making the arrangements for her father. And so she did. And we sat there and we talked about what would you like 
you know, for that. I've done some services where the kids have picked the songs. Little kids have picked some of the songs. Or I've told them many times, write a letter. Let's put it in with them to be cremated. Let's put it in the casket with them. Um, whatever, a note. Give them an animal to give them something. Involve your children with the children of someone who is grieving if they've known each other or, or if time is right. Some of the most precious times in my life, in my memory, have been times my kids stepped forward on their own. We were, um, my wife, uh, I'm divorced now, but my wife at the time was backing out of the drive and our next door neighbor was working on his van in the driveway next to us. His son was standing beside the van and accidentally bumped the van and it fell on this guy and flailed his chest and he died. My kids and my wife saw that happen. Okay. My neighbor had about six kids and two of those were the same age as my oldest son. My youngest son was just a baby, a younger uh, toddler actually. And um, I talked with my son about it. We talked about it some. And of course these kids were coming over because they played together. They were next door neighbors and they played together. So I sat my son down and asked him, do you want to go to the funeral? And we talked about the funeral and what it was and we went. And I will never forget as we walked into the doors of the church, his two little friends that were there because their dad was in the casket in the next room saw Grant walk in, they walked up to him and hugged him. And they said, introducing Grant, this is my friend here. Grant didn't know what to say, he was just there as a friend. He hugged them, he cried with them, and as they played together over time, he'd come to me now and then and said, Dad, all they want to do is talk about their daddy. And I'm getting tired of it. And so we talked about that a little bit. That, and by the way, we adults don't deny it, do the same thing. I don't want to see them because I don't want to hear the story again. But we need to hear the story again sometimes. All right. Now, there may be times you need to pull aside and rest and then go back. I, I get that. I get that. But his presence there meant something powerful to those kids that were going through grief. This is my friend that's here for me. And that can make a difference. The other story I'll tell is on my younger son that was about, he had to be about seven, I guess, at the time. And um, we had someone in the church, a young family in the church, that this, this gentleman on a business trip went to Florida. He'd never been to Florida, never seen the ocean before. So he and whoever he was with drove straight from the airport to the ocean. And he walked out into the ocean. He got caught up in a riptide and drowned. We got him back to Oklahoma. And uh, I was asked by our pastor. He pastor called me. He was going to use the funeral home I was at. Joe called me and we talked about it a little bit, so I was going over to speak with his wife and his family at their home. 
You know, I'm a funeral director. I also was somebody in the church. So I kind of tried to balance those roles a little bit on that. And I went back and talked to him. But as I was going out the door, I told my youngest son where I was going. He had Sunday school class with the man's boy. And so I said, do you want to go? And he said, yeah, I do. So we started out the door, and he said, wait a minute, Dad. And so I waited. He ran to his room, and he picked up a stuffed animal. And he said, I want to give this to Jordan. So we went over. I talked to the parents. Preston spent time talking with Jordan on that. They were in different schools at, at uh, school. They had some Sunday school classes together, but they had changed in time to where they weren't in the same church or the same class anymore. As they got to um, middle school, they started having some classes together again. And immediately they bonded again. And Jordan shared, I remember you brought me the stuffed animal when Dad died. And they became best of friends and Jordan was a groomsman in Preston's wedding. And they still stay in touch and close to each other. All by the simple act of just taking a stuffed animal and saying, I care. Kids need to be involved and kids can help other kids if we let them. And listen, kids are not afraid to get together if we don't scare them. Yeah. You know, let them get with the kids and share that time. Now, my kids are unique in that they were raised around funeral homes and me working at the funeral home, and they came to the funeral home all the time to see it. In fact, one thing I didn't tell my wife for a long time is uh, I was working in the office one day at the funeral home, and uh, Grant was in the office. We really live right next door to the funeral home, and we had caskets in a casket room, and one of them we had just on the floor, just sitting kind of just above the floor on a stand, uh, and the other above it. So I was working in the office, and all of a sudden I realized, I don't hear Grant. <laughs> so I got up and said, I need to find where he is and what room he's wandered into. So I go into the casket room, and I find him asleep in one of the caskets. <laughs> He'd crawled up in one of them and had gone to sleep. <laughs> so I didn't think my wife would appreciate that so much, so I didn't tell her that story for a little while. <laughs> but they were comfortable around funeral homes and they had been to a lot so maybe they were more comfortable with that but what I'm telling you even kids being there for other kids can make a difference and can help them in that time and I think it's important we need to include being a part of that helps them in should, should a kid see the body after the death If you're going to have a viewing, the kids should be given the opportunity to. I would not force them. You don't want to make them do it, but give them the opportunity and encourage them to. But one of the keys is talk to them about what you're doing and what they're going to see. I remember one, I don't know how old, but one child came in and they were looking at dad in the casket. And I tell the kids, if you have questions, ask me and... I was standing there because I stay with them. Usually I'll stay with them for just a little while to make sure everybody's okay, and then I'll step out and give them some private time. But as they were standing there, I could see the child was puzzled. She had an uneasy look. 
And so I said something to her, and I said, are, are, do you have any questions, anything? And she was looking, and she said, why did you cut Daddy's legs off? I said, we didn't cut Daddy's legs off. He was in a cab, bottom half of the casket was closed, the legs didn't show. And so we opened the bottom end of the casket, let her see his full body, so that she would understand we didn't cut Daddy's legs off. So give them the chance to ask questions. Explain to them what's going to happen in that sense. Sometimes it's a matter of letting them draw a picture to express how they feel. Um, write a letter or color a picture to share and to put in the casket or to tell them. Sometimes it's a matter of holding them up and letting them kiss mom or dad goodbye or someone else in that sense. One little girl standing at the casket of her little brother who had died came to a point in quiet as she was in there by herself, turned and asked her mama, am I still a big sister? Answer the question. You'll always be a big sister. He lived. He's your brother. Don't forget him. You can always say you're a big sister with that. Talk to them. Listen to them. Cry with them. If they're crying, hold them. Let them cry with you. Don't be afraid to let them see you cry because then they know it's okay. Don't be afraid to let them see you laugh at a funny story or a memory and they'll laugh with you. Ask them their stories, what they remember, and let them be a part. Seeing the body, the things that we do, helps them acknowledge the reality of death. Important to model the behavior. Also important is be careful how you talk about death to kids. Do not tell a child that mom or dad has just gone on a trip. Do not tell a child they're just sleeping. Can you imagine next time mom goes on a trip, the next time you say, I'm going to go down and sleep for a little bit, the anxiety that that begins to build. You can share your faith and tell them they're not really there. That's just their body. That's how we've related to them. But the soul, the spirit, the the. the heart that's really them is with God. When my father was murdered, I took my son. He was about two years old. Um, <clears throat> we took him to the funeral. Two-year-old. People said, would you take him? I said, yeah, I'm going to take him. He didn't know his granddad well because we lived away from where dad lived his whole life. He didn't know him well. I took him and let him see him in the casket. Dad did not look good. He had been beaten to death. His skull was fractured. His mandible were fractured. His eyes was fractured and bruised and swollen. I saw him before the restorative work was done. He didn't look real good. You know, and I had told Mom, I think the family ought to see him and we ought to close the casket. And she said, no, everybody gets to see him. I said, okay. And he saw him. And we talked about it and different things, and we knew he was going to bury him. And I don't know, it was a few months later. He was riding with me in one of the vehicles, and we were driving by the cemetery in the town that we lived in. And just out of the blue, he looked out there and he said, that's where Grandpa is. 
So we talked. And I said, well, he's not in that cemetery, but his body's in, I told him where. said, his soul, I believe, is with God now. And so we talked about that. But he had that concrete image. He knew we buried Grandpa. You know, and so it helped him process through some of that a little bit in all of that sense. Okay. The other thing I want to caution you on with kids is being careful not to keep them outside and to help them confirm some reality. One of the biggest mistakes I made during the Oklahoma City bombing was with my son. Grant was, Preston was two, so Grant had to be about eight at the time. Um, when the bombing happened, I called my wife and I talked to her and I said, it's probably going to be a while before I get home because of everything that was going on. And she says, what are you talking about? What's happened? She didn't know yet. And so I said, well, I'm okay. And as she began to learn, she began to understand why that call was important to her. I talked to my son on the phone a couple of times on all of that, but I hadn't seen him because literally from that Wednesday to the Sunday, I might have made it home to get an hour's sleep each night, take a shower, and go back. Okay, I mean, it was, it was a brutal time from that standpoint. And we had one of the things we established is after a certain period of time, um, you had to rotate off duty. You could not be there, you know, for our own health and sanity. So that Sunday, I bumped up against the mandatory time I had to leave. I mean, we set the rules, so you got to abide by the rules you set. So I went home in the wee hours of the morning, Sunday morning. Um, exhausted, couldn't really sleep. So I was set up watching TV in the recliner, watching news coverage and all that. And I heard my son get up and mill around and go into my wife. And I could hear him ask her, is dad home? And she said, yeah, I think he's in the living room. And I heard my son go, yes. And he comes running down the hall and jumps in the middle of me of that recliner and hugs me. And it dawned on me with all he had been hearing through the news media and everything, even though I'd talked to him on the phone, he hadn't seen me. He did not know I was okay. So with the kids, you need to see them and let them see mom's okay if dad's gone or, or vice versa, that you're okay and that you're there and you're a part of it, you know. They need to see that. And I remember when dad was murdered, my first thought was I need to get to mom. You know, I need to be with mom. I couldn't, I knew what was going to happen with dad. I knew when I said I need to be there with mom on all that and with my brothers. And so kids need to be involved in some of that and to be able to help that. So the things that we've talked about in the way of rituals, find things that the kids can do. If they're artists, if they're musicians, whatever the children may do, let them find a way to use that as an expression of their grief and their emotion and share it together. We do a lot where people want to do a just a private viewing, a family viewing. We don't embalm the body. We do bathe it, clean it up. You know, people sometimes don't understand why we have to do that because there's a fee for it. But if you've dealt with dead bodies much, you understand that there are things that happen that need to be cleaned up. Hospice nurses are great at cleaning up before we get there. But as we move them, there are still things that happen that 
before I can bring them up that something needs to be done to make sure everything's okay. We also live in a time of a lot of diseases of MRSA and different things that we may need to treat for on that. So we don't embalm them, but we do bring them up if they want to see them. And we've got what we call an Affirm cremation container where it's a cremation. It's a white cardboard box, basically, that's got two, two halves to it, one that covers the feet, the other that you leave off. But one of the things we've done with that is anytime we use that, we put markers on the top of it. And I have yet to see a family come in that they didn't write a note on the box. Kids come in and draw a picture on the box or leave a message on the box in some way. Those are the things that I'm talking about that help us express what we're feeling and what we're going through. Kids need to be able to participate in some way in all of that. Now I understand there's times kids are young enough, they get restless, they start crying and they need to be taken out and that's okay. Doesn't mean they have to sit there through the whole service. But find ways to let them incorporate, talk to them about it and involve them in that sense and set the pattern for them as a role model on all of that. Um, explain the things that are going to happen at the service and be there for them. Don't forget the kids in the days that are ahead. Don't ignore them. Sometimes we get caught up in our own grief and we fail to get with them. And so involve them. All right. I'm going to stop because over the last several classes I've done a whole lot of talking. I want to give you a chance to ask questions that maybe something's on your mind that we need to talk about. Yes. Well, the first thing that I go back to is I never really know whether a person has accepted Jesus or not. Okay? So I don't know that either way. So how would I answer their question if I believe the person hasn't done it? I would still tell them that their body is either cremated or buried and that the person that's inside them goes to eternity and that we believe that for those of us that believe in Christ that he gives us eternal life. I don't say I believe this person's in hell. You know, but I will say that God gives us the chance for eternal life and that's why our faith in Christ is so important. And if they say where is he? Is he with God? I often would say I don't know. You know, I can believe that if he's accepted Christ, but, you know, we don't really know in some cases. But you can believe that they are, even if they're not, because we don't know. We just don't know. Okay? Um, families that you've helped lead through that, that grieving process um, may have had, you know, uh, mentally handicapped individuals in the family that are mourning as well. What kind of experience have you had with leading those individuals through it? I would still say that some of the same principles applies if somebody's mentally handicapped. You've got to kind of deal with them on their level, but I would still say you give them the opportunity to participate. They may not understand fully 
but in that environment, we don't know exactly all that they understand. I'll give you two examples. We did a service not long ago for a gentleman. Um, his son was Down syndrome and had some limited mental capacity. But he had a little bit, and one of the things that he did with his grandpa that was important was the um, uh, Midlight Express, that they were trains and collected trains and all of that. And um, I, I, this one I happened to, to speak at as well. And I talked to him. I called him by name. And I said, I know that you shared this time together, that you shared this passion with your grandfather, and that your grandfather loved you deeply. And we talked about their relationship in some of that. And then one of the songs we used at the service was the old Mountain Railroad, you know, because it spoke to him in that sense. And so I think you still involve them. They may not understand. If they want to see the body, let them see it. you got to remember, I think there's an instinct within us that takes over sometimes that we try to suppress. Animals have rituals sometimes around somebody in the herd that dies. Pets that are living together will spend time with that body, that carcass, if you want to use that term, after this pet that they've lived with for years dies. So we don't necessarily understand what the value of some of those things are, even when words can't say it. Let them participate. Don't hold them away. Don't say they don't understand. In our instinct, sometimes we don't know what somebody really understands and what's meaningful for them. So I would encourage them to participate in that sense. Um, and we've had several others that have been. Uh, we, did, we did a service for a young um, lady that um, had some mental and physical issues. And a big part of the service were other kids in the group she was with. And they came with their wheelchairs and they tried to sing, you know, some of the songs. So I don't know how much of that really got into their understanding, but they got to participate. And I think that's the important thing. You know, I, I really think some of those with mental disabilities we have to treat the same. Now, I had another one just recently scared one of my staff members to death. Um, this, this grandson of the gentleman that died had some serious mental issues. And uh, he knew we had granddad at the funeral home. He was coming to the funeral home by himself. The body wasn't embalmed. The wasn't ready for the viewing. But he knew that's where Grandpa was being taken. So I had the manager of the funeral home at my north location standing there, and she's looking out the window seeing this guy. It looks pretty scary coming up carrying nunchucks. And he's swinging those nunchucks, and he's mumbling and battling, saying, I'm Jesus. I'm God. God is back. And scares her to death. She goes out the back door, calls the police, <laughs> you know. The police show up, they talk to him, they deal with him, we talk to the family, we kind of get some of the story. One of my other staff members happened to hear about that from as they were talking about it, because this was a traumatic experience, so we talked about it. So we had the service, and I intentionally put myself on that service and was there, and as we were getting ready to do the service, one of my staff members come to said, he's here and he's got his nunchucks with him, and she was wide-eyed, said, it's okay, just relax. We let him come in and he sat down and you know he got up a couple of times and he made some mumbling comments and all that and the family was good to deal with him. They had an open microphone and he got up to speak on the microphone 
And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> but his parents were with him. And, you know, my, my staff was saying, do something. I said, it's okay. It's okay. And he got up, and the thing he said wasn't appropriate because he, was, he had mental issues. And he got real wide-eyed, and he said, did I get somebody here pregnant? <laughs> I mean, that gives you an idea of his mental state. Well, his brother and his parents got him, and they lovingly and gently led him outside. Got him calmed back down, and he came back in. But he had the opportunity to see his granddad to participate in the service. And I don't know what value that may have been to him, even though the instinct is he shouldn't be here, keep him away, it's inappropriate. But you know what? They're still God's creation, and we need to love them. So I think you let them participate if they can. Now, there's certain times they can't. Somebody is violent and things like that, but that's life we have to deal with in those circumstances. I was comfortable in this case because I knew his parents were there. I knew the family was attentive and they were having it under control. I have had some services where I've had to have police present because of, of um, situations of people that I thought were unstable. They had made threats against their mother or different things. I got one guy in Oklahoma that was uh, threatened to kill his mother. That's a sad story I won't go into right now. And um, so I called the police and I said, I think I might need to have someone there because I'm worried. I gave the police the name and they said, we'll be there. We were already investigating him for suspicion of murder. <laughs> and so we'll be there on all of that. And, and you know, part of that time in trying to deal with him and trying to, to mediate and work with all of that, he looked at me one time and, and said, if you never need anything taken care of, just call me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyway, other questions? I didn't have a question, but um, I just think it's super duper important that kids are involved. My daughters were seven and eight when their father died, and they had already accepted Jesus, and so um, at the actual burial part, we had balloons that they could put letters into, and they wrote on the balloons and sent those to heaven. So it was just another way for children to know that they're not going in the ground, they're going to heaven. To participate, yeah. I've done this with some younger kids that you think they're too young to understand the body and the soul. And I had, uh, I had some kids one time, and they were struggling with it, and they happened to be watching movie Puff the Magic Dragon. You see that movie, you know that? And so it dawned on me while they were watching that movie to sit down, and we talked about, and I don't remember if it was their dad or who it was that had died, and they were asking some questions. I said, well, you remember Jackie Draper in your movie and what he was told? They drew a picture on paper, and Jackie Draper, the living thing inside, came out. And they began to talk about Jackie Draper, the paper, but the living thing came out of him and was different. So they began to have that concept from that little children's movie. And I said, whoever it was, your father or whoever, his body is like Jackie Paper. He's not really in it now. The living thing inside has been taken out and is now... So they understood that. I will tell you with some of those Disney movies, they are prime opportunities to have a conversation about death with children. Uh, my 
chairman of the department when I was working on my master's degree, I talked to him about some of that. And he said, why don't you write a thesis on using animated movies to explain children death? I never did it, but it was a it was an interesting thought in that sense because that's a concept they get from the movie that can be translated into very strong biblical spiritual principles with that. So, If you'll listen to the grieving and to the children, they will teach you so much and help you away. Sometimes kids will tell you the answer that you never thought of yourself if you'll just listen to them. And the other thing I want you to be very, very cognizant of is that whenever you're going through death and grief or anything in life, those kids are hearing more than you give them credit for. They're hearing the adults talk. They hear the whispers. They see what's going on. And often they know before you ever talk to them about all of that. And listen, Children today are faced with death and grief far earlier than we were because you see it on TV all the time. You see it in the news all the time. All the mass killings and all the other killings that are there. So they're dealing with it without you. And so you really need to be involved. Take them to the vigils of someone popular that's died. My child was two years old. Preston was two years old. We carried him downtown to the Oklahoma City bombing site. Part of that was my office was close by, but we walked right up to the outer perimeter where they could see the bombing site. They were seeing images on TV. I wanted them to see a bigger picture and us talk about it a little bit more in that context. So I don't think you can shield them. You've got to support them and help them. Right. We watched her during the funeral, so I don't know exactly what she was doing. It does, and one of the things that children do understand, particularly if they're having a viewing, is you can say, this is an opportunity for us to say goodbye. Now, they may not be able to talk back to us, but we can say goodbye. You can give them a kiss. You know, now, I understand there's some circumstances when you can't. Um, you know, there's times I've told people you can touch their hands, and, but don't touch their face, because it's mostly wax now. You know, things like that. But there are ways you can do it and to touch it. Um, you know, and sometimes there's times even with parents or others that you may not be able to see the body because of trauma, but maybe you can see the hands. Let me share one last story if I have time. Um, we did a service that of, a, of a young man that had been hiking and went missing. Well over a year, maybe two, and he still hadn't been found. When we finally got word, we got a call that they'd found him. 
They'd identified him and they found him. His wife was young. They were in their very, very early 20s. And I remember talking to her and she said, I need to see him. I'm saying, there's nothing to see. They recovered skeletal remains, part of them, not all of them. You know, because animals, you know, different things that take. And she told me, she said, if I can see his lower teeth, I will know if that's him. So we got the body from the coroner, and I looked at what we got. We got the skeleton from the coroner, and I looked at what we got, and I saw his mandible. The mandible had been separated from the rest of the skeleton because they used it with dental records to make the identification. As soon as I saw the mandible, I said, I know how she, I know what she's saying. So we took that jawbone only, laid it on a pillow, and covered it. Now the rest of his body was in a container below that, or the rest of the bones. And she came in, and I talked to her, and I said, we're going to go in. You know, he's here. I've got his mandible here. It's covered. She walked in. We walked up there, and I said, whenever you're ready, let me know. And I pulled the mandible back. She saw his mandible, his jaw, his teeth, and said, I know that's him. I can rest assured now that it is him and he is dead. You know, and that's why I'm saying there's power in some of those things in it. All right, we'll take a break.